And we're going to pick up there in the last part of the second uh, chapter of John. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at, Pas at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll help us in this time, in this time as we've opened up the, the word of life, that you'll help us to focus in, Lord, that you'll help us to engage in this reading and understand that we're not just uttering words from a dictionary. We're not uttering words from a novel, but we are uttering the words of life. These words have meaning for us today. Lord, I pray that you'll grant me the power to preach this morning and that you'll pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, each and every one of us in this building. Lord, for those who are at home this morning, sick, facing illness, Lord. We pray that you'll strengthen them and they'll be better, Lord. And for our sons, Lord, that we thank you for their consistent reminders of their prayers for the Witten Place Baptist Church and their continual support. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We have returned to the second chapter of John again this week. I know that the intention was to move on to chapter 3 and begin to study about the life of Nicodemus. But as I began this week to get into the life of Nicodemus, I felt that it wasn't fair attention given to the end of chapter 2, so we returned again this morning. Chapter 2 for me thus far, I don't know what you've gathered from it or the Lord has showed you in this, but... For me, it's been a lot about worship, about improper worship. The, the first few verses we've seen where Jesus turned water into wine, and yet in the midst of him turning water into wine, there were many people who witnessed this great miracle, but even though they witnessed this great miracle, they missed the meaning of the miracle worker. We've seen in chapter 2 and verse 12 that when they departed from Cana, that only those who came with Jesus departed with Jesus. Then we moved on to see last week about the cleansing of the temple, how Jesus moved in righteous anger against the people who had arrived in the temple to worship. But when they arrived to worship in the temple, they arrived with their own agenda. They arrived with their own idea when it came to worship. We were challenged when we left last week to search our own hearts, which is the temple of God, and realize and search and see if there's anything in our lives in which is hindering worship. And in this week, in these last three verses of chapter 2, we are confronted and calls to marvel at the reality of our omniscient Savior. 
One brother did well in titling this study and the portion of these last three verses of chapter 2, the reality that Jesus knows. Indeed, he does. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows where our faith rests. He knows why you're here this morning. He knows what's going through your mind as you're sitting here this morning. I hope you understand that we've sat down and we've begin to open God's word, and for the next 30 minutes, this approach shouldn't be the approach that you have when you watch a football game. You look up for a few minutes and look down. This isn't the same approach that you would have for a moment of entertainment. You pay attention only when it seems to be good or applicable to you, but Preaching is the design that God has given to his people so that as the word of God is lifted up, the hearts of God's people have begun to and begin to engage in a conversation with the word of God. These three verses that we've just read has called for you to engage in what the word of God is speaking to you and how this applies to you. This morning, the question is, what will we do with it? I want to read our text again. I want to break it up so that we can grasp a hold of a better understanding of what exactly is being said to us in this portion. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, what does he say? Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Focus. Many believed in his name. At first glance, this is an exciting moment. Many believed in his name. I mean, is this the, is this the first revival ever recorded? Is this comparable to what happened in Jonah's life when he preached there in Nineveh and all of the Ninevites were saved? Is this like the revival that we read that happened up in uh, Massachusetts? Is this like the revival that you read about that happened over in Scotland on the island of Lewis? Is this the revival that swept England? I mean, all that people were believing in Jesus. I mean, at first read, this is exciting. People are putting their faith in the Lord. But then we're confronted with further troubling news. I mean, we've already said that, I mean, that people believed in Jesus. This is the entire purpose of this book. John 20, 31, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing in him, you might have life through his name. So it seems in verse 23 that this is an exciting moment because the entire purpose of this book being written is being answered that many believed in his name. But in the midst of this excitement, we are introduced to a reality that there are those who falsely call upon the name of the Lord. We are brought to the reality that there are people who say that they have placed their faith in the Lord, that they've believed in the Lord and have not truly believed. And for this reason, verse 24 follows. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, 
Wait a minute. What did verse 23 just say to us? And many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But verse 24 says they believed. But verse 24 says that Jesus didn't believe in them. This is a troubling reality. They confessed that they believed. But it was not reciprocated by the Lord. Now, to give you an understanding, maybe a better understanding of what is being offered to us here in this text, in verse 23, when it says that they believed, many believed, this comes from the Greek word pisteo, which is the same Greek word that is used in here when in verse 24 when it said Jesus did not commit. That is the same Greek word pisteo. So you could say it in this context, that many believed in his name, but Jesus did not believe in them. He didn't commit himself unto them. But, but why? Why? Well, all of these verses that we have here, but, but why didn't he convent, commit himself to them? It really answers for you in verse 23. They believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. In all the Gospels together, the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John, there are some 36 gospel, or there's 30, some 36 miracles recorded. Now, John chapter 21, the Lord helps us, and we ever get there. John chapter 21 says that there are not enough books that could be written to feel, to, to fully bring an understanding all the miracles and all of the things that Jesus did, did, did during his earthly ministry. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that John chapter 21 applies here. We don't know the miracles that the Lord did during this time of the Passover feast. We haven't been enlightened, but listen, it was so powerful. It was so supernatural. No one had ever seen these kind of miracles to, before that it caused the people who were looking on Jesus to believe. But they believed because of the miracles in which he did. That without a doubt, people believed on him now. I believe this is really setting out to show where the people of Israel were. I also believe that these last three verses are pivotal in setting the understanding of what we're going to see in chapter 3. If you look to chapter 3 in verse number 2, we begin to see the story of Nicodemus, and it says, The, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except thou be with him. You see, here better clarity is given about the problem. They did not deny that the miracles which he did came from above. They did not deny that he had power from above. And listen, there are many religious groups today who recognized that Jesus had power from above. 
If you were to question the Muslims, if you were to question the Mormons, if you were to question the Jehovah Witness, they say that he was a, a prophet, a miracle worker, a, a way maker. They even go on to say that he was sent from God. And they believe all of these things. And by the way, he is all of those things that they believe. But the problem is they refuse to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is God. They deny his deity, but they confess that he was from him. We've encountered the same kind of people in this text. They confessed and they believed that his miracles were from above and denied his deity, denied the reality of why Christ was here. They, they missed the main message. They missed the reality that Jesus Christ is the Messiah mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 24 that she would bring forth a son and call his name Jesus, and he shall save their people from their sins. They missed that part. They missed the reality that he was the chief cornerstone that Psalms had spoke about. They missed the reality that this was Emmanuel, Isaiah chapter 7, 14, that this was literally Emmanuel, God with us. They missed that this was the mighty one of Isaiah chapter 60. They missed that he was the deliverer of Job 19. They missed that he was the rose of Sharon, the Song of Solomon would say. They missed it. They understood his existence. They seen his power, but they missed the real reason why he was here. Here at the beginning of the Lord's earthly ministry, at the beginning of the establishment of the local New Testament church, we are confronted with the reality that there are people in local New Testament churches all across this country. This is not a problem that just started at the time of Christ and then stopped. On the very beginning of the start of the local New Testament church, we are faced with the reality of people who will say that they've placed their faith in the Lord. They say that they believed in him and they are lost and on their way to hell because they have placed their faith in the wrong thing. They say they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe that God sent him. They believe he was powerful. Miracle workers believe the things of the New Testament are true, but have failed to recognize what Christ's coming means to them. This passage can really cause you to tremble as you embrace the reality. This problem has only been amplified throughout all the ages, that in the house of God, week after week, month after month, people are gathered in the house of God who follow Jesus, who show up to church and do not have saving faith because their faith is superficial, their faith is artificial, and it's a faith that does not save. It's interesting that they were in the presence of the Lord and confessed that they believed. I believe they believed that they believed. But they didn't believe. This is the reality that's not only been given to us in the book of John, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
ye that work iniquity. Notice the Lord didn't say that these people weren't laboring on earth. It didn't say that they weren't doing things that they believed was right. It says that they never had saving faith. I never knew you. There will be people who say they believed, but saying you believe is not enough. Understand this. Saying you believe in the existence of Jesus Christ only puts you with the status of the devils. The Bible says that even the devils believe and tremble, but they don't have saving faith. To say you believe that Jesus exists is not enough. Now, this verse it seems to strike fear in, in hearts, but... This is why I said in the beginning of these verses, this, this time that we have here is a time where the word of God is having a conversation with our hearts. Why are you here? What is your faith? Where have you placed your faith? It's not in the existence. If it's in the existence, it's not saving faith. If it has, you've never had this moment where you've personally seen yourself before the cross of Christ on Calvary's hill, where you recognize he died for you. You've never had saving faith. Even more, it is no coincidence that this book is written at the beginning of a book that is written on faith. Our eyes are drawn to the reality of false faith. This is why Paul would later encourage the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 to work out your own salvation, your own salvation with fear and trembling. Matthew would go on to chapter 7 and verse 14 to say, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and what? Which leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. Not many. Few be there that find it. The reality is you can profess to believe in Jesus and have non-saving faith. True faith is not made evident in belief. Hear me. True saving faith is not made evident in beliefs. You can say you believe it and it not be true. And it's not made evident in you saying you believe it. It's not in evidence that you confess that you believe that he did miracles. Salvation has always been by faith alone, through grace alone. Evidence, meaning miracles, is not a confession of belief. Well, what is the evidence? What is the evidence of a changed life? And what is the evidence of salvation? It's always been a changed life. John 8.31 then said Jesus to those which believed on him. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples, indeed. A life that pursues righteousness, a life that pursues holiness, has always been a life that was offering evidence of an inward change. Well, you're making salvation about works. I'm not making salvation about works. But understand that the book of James says that what? Faith without works is dead. You can say you're saved all you want, but if there's no actions backing it, 
You're calling your own spiritual life into question. Not mine, your own. Faith without works is dead. Now, where do we go with this in our life? Now, understand, too, the key to unraveling the next portion. The only way you can fully understand this is if you understand the deity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To understand his power. Chapter John chapter 2 and verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. Now I want you to understand on the, the outset of this that I wholeheartedly believe that whosoever has called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I truly believe that there has never been one person who wholeheartedly called upon the name of the Lord who has not been saved. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart that there's never been a person who believed the gospel and not been saved. That the gospel, the real gospel, that, that in the beginning, God created man and he put him in the garden and he charged them to be obedient and to not eat of the tree. And man sinned. And through that sin, through that decision, Romans 5.12 became a reality to all. And wherefore by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. And ever since that fall in the garden, in the beginning, any Man that was born of natural birth found themselves under the penalty of that sin. But God, in his loving mercy, in his loving kindness, after some 4,000 years of humanity groaning under the curse of sin, after 4,000 years, the Bible says that the earth groaned because of the curse of sin, not just mankind. The entire world felt the curse of sin. And after 4,000 years, out of his loving kindness, out of his loving heart, God sent forth his son born of a virgin. A virgin. This is key. Because Jesus Christ being born of a virgin, the sin nature was not passed upon our Lord. And here he entered humanity and he lived a sinless, spotless life. But the fact that he lived a sinless, spotless life did not save you. The fact that he performed miracles did not save you. What saved you was that after 33 and a half years of living the sinless, spotless life, he met all of the requirements to be a sacrifice. He was sinless. He was spotless. He was without blemish. And there, willingly, he climbed upon the hill called Calvary, willingly laying down his life on Calvary's cross for sinners like us. And at the very first drop of blood, at the very first drop of blood, all our sins were washed away. My past, my present, and my future, I believe that anyone who's placed their faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ 
been saved. But for these people, they believe the miracles. They believe that he was sent from God. They believe that he had done many good things, but they didn't believe the gospel. They didn't see why he was here. They didn't understand that his purpose of being here was only to draw light who he was and in the long term of giving an understanding of the sacrificial work in which he would do. I hope that we all here this morning have come to the understanding that we are all wicked sinners. And I hope that all of us, as we think about our personal salvation, can remember the day in which we found ourselves kneeling down, crying out to God for what he experienced on Calvary's hill for us. It's a wonderful thing. It's not a wonderful thing that he died for me. I mean, it's a wonderful thing because I get to experience life after here, but it hurts to think that he would die for me to experience what I wouldn't experience without him dying for me, that there on Calvary's hill, in his death, wicked sinners like us are imputed with his righteousness and our wickedness is upon him. And then he died and placed in a borrowed tomb and rose three days later, not only justifying us, but in further sanctifying us. He didn't just save us and leave us alone, but he's here with us day in and, and day out. But here in verse 24, that's not the experience these people had. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. Now, if I was to come to you after the services and tell you that I wanted you to pray for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so because I believed that they were not saved, you would say to me, well, how did you ever arrive at such an assumption that you believe that so-and-so is not saved? I would probably begin to say to you, well, it seems that they have no desire for the house of God. I would probably tell you it seems that they have no desire for the word of God. I would probably go on to tell you that it seems that they have a no desire to see souls saved. It seems that they're miserable in worship. They're miserable around God's people. I would go on and on and, and begin to state to you reasons why I believed that they were not saved. But understand, this is after a time of observation. This is after a time I've seen their life unfold before my eyes. This statement that you see in verse 24 follows 23. They confessed that they believed on him, but he did not believe on them because why? He knew all men. This is a proclamation that God knows man's heart. He knew what was in their heart. He's seen what was written upon the boards of their heart. He knows what's written upon the boards of our hearts today, even as believers. Listen, you may even do well. People do well. They live well. They seem to fool the pastor, the preacher, they're so on and so forth. My mom would have told you that I was a saint growing up at times. And I wasn't because it was a good facade. 
And so it is oftentimes we put on a facade in our lives and we arrive here and we act like things are going well and we've been living for the Lord faithfully and we're so committed and pouring out our hearts in service to the Lord. And the reality is it's just a mask. But the Lord knows. He knows what's written upon your hearts. He knows what you're thinking about, about what you want to do when you leave here or uh, how miserable you felt that you even would even have to come here. The reality is that we're faced with in these last three verses is that he is an omniscient savior. He knows all. He knows it all. He didn't commit himself unto them. He didn't believe in them because he knew that they didn't believe in what he was here to do. Even more, we see this omniscient power of Jesus Christ, but he didn't even need time to pass to see where they truly stood. He knew what was in their heart. He didn't need people to come and tell him about people. I mean, that's oftentimes what happens in churches today. Like, oh, did you hear that brother so-and-so was doing this? Like, did you say anything to him? No? Well, then do your part, you know. But no, but seriously, that's how it usually happens. People want to notify you about what other people are doing. They, Jesus, it says here clearly, but he did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man. He didn't need anybody to come tell them that they didn't fully believe. He didn't say, need somebody to come up and say, hey, they actually don't believe that you're going to die on Calvary and atone for us. They don't believe. They only believe in you. He didn't need that. He knew the heart of men immediately. And even today, this great truth stands that he knows what's in our hearts. He knows what is written upon our hearts. He knows how we view him. And by the way, the ultimate reality is this. There's coming a day where we're going to stand before him. Now you can hide it today, but there's coming a day where he will re read aloud in front of all humanity what has been written upon our hearts for all these years. There may be a shocking for us, but I, I have to believe it's true that there are many in this building, or some in this building, I want to say many, but there are probably some in this building who believe they're saved and are not. There may be some in this building who've been faithful in service to the Lord and think that they've said the right things, and since they said the right things, that means they're safe. The text makes it clear saying the right things doesn't mean the right things for you. This, is, this, this book is about faith and what Christ has done for us. It's personal. It's, it's personal. Many may have believed, but it wasn't personal. I mean, I mean, how much more do we need to understand that Jesus understands our hearts? When you think about there in the upper room, when Jesus would ask the disciples or when Jesus would tell the disciples that one of you would betray me soon. 
they would all begin to ask, is it I, is it I, is it I? And when it would arrive to Judas, he would tell Judas, go and do your part. Go and do your act. He knew the heart of Judas. He knows the heart of his people. He knows our hearts this morning. And I just felt that this morning I could not pass on to Nicodemus until we first clarified that as you move forward, understanding who Jesus is and all that he's done, the first thing that has to be clarified as he begins this earthly ministry, and we're going to see it when he interacts with Nicodemus, is that regardless of what your lips says, he knows what's in your heart. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I give thanks to you for your word. I thank you for this time to be in your word. Lord, I pray that you'll give us understanding as we move forward, Lord. I pray that your name will be magnified and lifted up and that your name will be honored as we study here. Lord, I pray that you cause for your children to walk carefully. Lord, if there be someone in the building this evening who's lost under a false thought process, a false belief. I pray that this morning you stir up in their hearts the reality that they've been placed in their faith in a knowledge of what you've done and not in a personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless our study in the book of John. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.